Welcome to the Church of Rocky Peaks downloadable messages and podcast. This week, our lead pastor, Mike Yearly, continues his series entitled, The Message and the Movement, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And today's message is titled, Jesus and the Audience of One. It started on Sunday morning. It was early. He woke up and he was tired from the day before. As he lay there, it was still dark outside and the day hadn't even begun. And his mind began to drift back to what had happened yesterday. He couldn't believe it. It really happened. His whole life had been prepared for this time and this place. He'd chosen the place carefully. It was a little town, actually not so little. It was a pretty good-sized city, really, a city called Capernaum. It was on the northwest shores of the Sea of Galilee. He'd chosen this place, though it wasn't his hometown. He'd moved there. He wanted to make it the center of his operations the next couple years. And yesterday had started... And as he laid there in the dark, he wasn't thinking of what would one day happen in this town of Capernaum. See, one day in this town, the crowds would be so thick that four, four men would bring one of their best friends and they would dig a hole in the roof and they would lower down their friend in front of him so he could be healed. One day, a Roman centurion, a big rough Roman centurion would come and he would ask him to heal his servant And he would say that this man has more faith than anyone in the whole land of Israel. One day, he would preach one of his most famous sermons he would ever preach, his bread of life sermon right here in Capernaum. And it'd be so offensive to the crowds that many of them would leave. But that was down the line. And as he lay there in the dark on the Sunday morning before the sun came up, he wasn't thinking about any of those things. He was thinking about what happened yesterday. Yesterday was a Saturday. Saturday's the Sabbath. Sabbath means church. All good Jews go to church on Sabbath. And he went too with his men. It was the first time he'd gone to the synagogue there in, in uh, Capernaum. And uh, when he got there, after they'd read the scripture, he asked if he could share some things. They'd never heard him teach. And they said yes. He was sort of an outsider. And so he got up and began to teach. And the moment he began to teach, like what happened the rest of his career, people were riveted. They couldn't really put words on it. It was... They, they would talk about the authority with which he taught. He, he was unlike any of the spiritual leaders of their day. He spoke with an authority, a firsthand experience of God. You couldn't really quantify it. But as he spoke, they were locked on. And right in the middle of his talk, it happened. It's something he expected. He knew was going to happen at some point, but he didn't know it was going to happen that day. Right in the middle of his talk, a man gets up and starts screaming. It didn't take long for people to realize there's something wrong with this guy, seriously wrong. In fact, they figured out that he had a demon. He was demonized. He was going crazy. Everyone was afraid. Everyone in the synagogue was backing up from him, getting away, but Jesus wasn't faced. And with the word, he silenced the demon. After the service, word gets out all around town about his teaching, about the authority, about the power. After the service, Jesus went home for his Sabbath lunch at his friend's house, Peter's house. Peter's mother-in-law who lived with them was uh, very sick had a big fever she was in bed couldn't get out of bed jesus went and just like he spoke to the demon is really weird but he spoke to the illness <laughs> and all of a sudden she felt better and got up and made lunch for them and that word of that got out and by nighttime when the sabbath was over and it was okay to do work the jews from all over town came they lined up in the door and this became one of the parts of jesus life right it was he was there all night long this long list of long line of people that were sick, full of de- or demon possessed. 
He took them one by one. He asked each one their name, what their need was, and with the word, he healed them. And so he was up late that night in an exhausting day, and now it's Sunday morning the next day, and it's still dark out. It's very early, but Jesus has woken up. He hears his father calling to him. This is not unnormal, abnormal for Jesus. He often hears his father calling to him. And so he gets up and he, he dresses quietly. He's probably in Peter's house spending the night. He dresses quietly. He goes to the front door. Remember, it's still dark. He quietly opens the door. He's trying not to wake anyone up. This latch always creaks. He's trying to keep it from creaking. He gets out the door. He closes the door. And the fresh breeze of the morning air hits him in the face. It's dark out. Still see the stars in the sky. He looks over the the Sea of Galilee. And the moon is shining, shimmering over the beautiful lake. It's still cold out. And he wraps his cloak around him. And he heads for the hills. It's time for some secret time with his father. Today we move into a whole new section of the Sermon on the Mount. It's chapter 6. It's the first 18 verses. Here's the point. In these 18 verses, Jesus is going to talk to us about some of the spiritual disciplines, some of the spiritual habits, some of the spiritual pursuits that he expects as his followers will be part of our lives. He's going to talk to us about things like like, uh, giving to the poor. He's going to talk to us about things like praying and things like fasting. But his main point is not really about these disciplines, as important as they are. His main point is that when it comes to following him, it's important as his followers, not only that we do the right things, but that we do them for the right reasons. In fact, he's going to say, if we do the right things for the wrong reasons, instead of taking us closer to the Father, it can also actually build a wall between us and the Father. And so he's going to say that, that uh, he's going to introduce a concept today that one of our biggest challenges is going to be, if we're going to be a follower of Jesus, one of our biggest challenges is that we're going to have to learn not to live for the approval of others. It's like an addiction that we have as a human race, right? And then we're going to follow him. We're going to have to learn to cut the ties, to give up our addiction to the approval of others, and we're going to have to learn how to live for what I'm calling today the approval of one for the approval of his father. And he's going to say that that one of the things that we need to do that will help us to cut this addiction and learn to live for the father alone is to practice the discipline of secrecy, okay? And so that's the passage. And what we're going to do today is we're going to look over the first 18 verses very quickly, just do an overview to get the flow of the whole passage, all right? And then we're going to come back today and we're going to look at three really important principles in our walk with Christ as his followers that deal with our relationship with our father. And then in the subsequent weeks, in the next three weeks, we're going to come back and we're going to dig into these three specific disciplines that Jesus talks about that he assumes will be part of our life. Next week, we're going to talk about giving to the poor. I hope you can be here for that one. Important topic. Next one, then we're going to talk about prayer the following week. The third, third week, we're going to talk about fasting. And my guess is probably most of us here have never even heard a sermon on fasting. And so we're going to talk about these three specific disciplines that Jesus says, hey, as my followers, I just assume this would be part of what you do, all right? So let's take our Bibles and jump in. The passage is uh, Matthew chapter 6, and we'll start at verse, uh, verse, 18, or verse 1 and go through verse 18. Jesus says, be careful 
you know, as my followers, you be very careful in your life not to do your acts of righteousness. No, literally in the Greek it says your righteousness. Be careful not to do. Jesus assumes that as his followers, there's certain right things that we will do. Uh, for a lot of people to understand this, a lot of people think that the being a follower of Jesus just involves what we believe. We believe certain things, but it's not about just what we believe. There's certain things as followers we do, right? It's not just belief, it's behavior. It's belief that leads to behavior. And so he says there's certain things that we're going to do. And he says, so be careful that when you do your acts of righteousness, um, that you don't do them before men to be seen by them. And if you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. So he says it's important in life that we do the right things, but it's important we do them for the right reasons. Is our motives really matter. And the right motive is to make sure we're not trying to do the right things in order to impress people. He says if you try to do the right things, even though you do the best things in life, but you do them for the wrong reason, you do them to impress people, he says that's all the reward you're going to get. You're going to try to impress people? Yes, you will impress people. But that's it. They're not going to draw you to God. God's not going to reward you. Right? You're not going to meet, God's not going to meet you there. So that's the basic principle of this whole passage. Now he's going to give us three illustrations. This first illustration, verse 2, is on giving to the poor. He says, so when you give to the poor, to the needy, he says, don't announce it with trumpets. Don't make a big deal, as the hypocrites do. Now, of course, the spiritual leaders of their day, the scribes, the Pharisees, they would make a big deal, right? So that's who he has in mind. He says, the hypocrites of the synagogues do, uh, are doing the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by men. I tell you, they have received their reward in full right? They, they're going to impress people. People will be impressed. They've got it. He says, when you, as my followers, when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Keep it top secret, okay? So that your giving may be in secret. And then your father, who sees what's done in secret, will reward you, all right? Okay, number five, verse five. Uh, now, he gives a second example, prayer. He's just saying, when you pray, Don't be like the hypocrites, the spiritual leaders, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. Again, they're trying to impress the crowds. I tell you the truth, they've received the reward in full. But when you pray, look, go into your room, close the door, pray to your father who's unseen, and then your father who sees what's done in secret will reward you. So you go and meet with the unseen God who sees the unseen, right? That's its idea. And he'll, he'll meet you there. He'll reward you. Now let's go down to verse 16. <coughs> the, the verses between here are verses where Jesus tells us more about how to pray. And of course, we'll cover that on the weekends we, we talk about prayer. And then verse 16, he gives a third example, though. He says, when you fast, don't look somber as the hypocrites do. You know, don't go around and, oh man, my stomach's hurting so badly. Uh, for they disfigure their faces to show men they are fasting. I tell you the truth, they've received their reward in full. They're trying to impress people, they'll be impressed. He says, when you fast, do your normal routine. Put oil on your head, you know, moose on your head, whatever you do. Uh, blow dry your hair, wash your face. <laughs> Just do your normal routine, is what he's saying. So that it won't be obvious to men that you're fasting, but only to your father who's unseen, and your father who sees what's done in secret will reward you. Now, pretty straightforward passage, right? So there's one basic principle. The principle is that as his followers, Jesus assumes there's certain things that we will do in our life to, to grow in him, to pursue him, to please him, right? There's certain things. He says, but it's very important you do the right things for the right reasons. If you do the right things for the wrong reasons to impress others, God's not going to meet you there. 
It's not going to draw you closer to the Father. It's going to drive you away. So learn to develop the discipline of secrecy in your life. Okay, so that's the basic idea of the passage. Three examples. And like I say, in the coming weeks, we'll take some time to look at those three examples. But today, I want to focus on three principles that kind of underlie this whole passage that Jesus is sort of assuming they're woven throughout the passage that are really critical to our spiritual life. And they all have to do with living for our Father, our relationship with our Father. So there in your note sheet, you have a section, and you're, already, you're so awake today, I can hear the pages flipping already. Um, you have a section there that talks about uh, living for the audience of one. And... Uh, <coughs> and learning how to live for our Father. And so uh, let's go through the principles, all right? And then we'll ask a couple questions at the end, get real practical. Number one, um, here's the first principle. Uh, now, now, this one, when I say this principle, I've got to warn you, it's going to sound very basic, all right? It's going to sound very basic like, duh, all right? Uh, well, you know, welcome back from Montana. You know, did you lose your brain there or something, right? Um, so it's going to sound very, it's going to sound very basic, but I promise you this is one of the most important teachings of Jesus, and all of and we one we often miss, and we, we need to unpack it some today. Okay, so here it goes. The first thing that kind of underlies this passage is Jesus came. Why, you know, why did Jesus come? He came to restore our relationship with His Father. Catch that? Okay, He came to restore our relationship with His Father. Now, if you go back to the teaching in the Bible, you know that the very beginning of time, the human race fell, right? We, we rebelled against God, and as a result, we lost our relationship. He's no longer our father. We lost our relationship. And so Jesus came to restore this relationship with his father. And this is a very prominent idea in his teaching. Um, Think with me, he'd often tell stories about this. A uh, famous story, I think most of you have heard, story of the prodigal son, right? Story about the kid in Iowa who gets tired of living on the farm, moves to L.A., wine, woman, and song, blows all the money, his dad's money, right? And he, he, he comes back. He, finally, he's, he's homeless on, on the streets, and he goes back home to see dad. And, of course, you expect dad to be angry at him for blowing all the family wealth, but instead the father runs to him, right? So we've all heard that story. And what, why did Jesus tell that story? It's a picture of your life and my life, that we are all far from God, and that at some point in our life we realize we, it's time to come home. And, and when we come back, even though we've totally blown him off our whole life and done our own thing, that God's response is not judgment. God's response is like a father to run to us, right? That's the whole point of the story. And this is a point of Jesus' ministry. He's come to restore the relationship with the father. That's what that story is about. Think with me another famous teaching of Jesus. Uh, it's teaching in John chapter 3. He talks about being born again, right? And what's, his, what's his teaching there? That, that we are like spiritually dead, before we become followers of Jesus. We're spiritually dead. We're out of touch. We can't sense what God's doing in our life. We're, 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 kind of, we're spiritually challenged, so to speak. And that when the Holy Spirit comes in our life, when a person gives their life to Christ, what the Jesus says they're born again. And that the DNA of the Father is planted in our life through his Holy Spirit, who changes us from the inside out, right? And so we become children of God. And in 1 John chapter 3, this is, this is not just something we're saying. It's a fact. We really are the children of God. And so a major teaching of, the, of Jesus is this whole idea that he has come to restore our relationship with his Father. In other words, he wants us to come into a relationship with the Father, the same kind of relationship that he had with his Father. That's why he came. Now, in the Sermon on the Mount, this is very common theme, very prevalent theme. 
For example, in these 18 verses that we're looking at today, Matthew 6, 1 through 18, that 10 times, if you were to count them up, 10 times Jesus refers to his Father. 10 times. More than any other place in the Bible in such a short period of time. He, it's, it's a major theme that's undergirding this whole section. In fact, it's not just here, but it's also throughout the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus is coming. He says, I've come to teach you what the Father is like, what you can expect from him, what he expects of you. I've come to reconnect you. So in the Sermon on the Mount, he's taking a lot of time to tell us, here's what your Father is like. Let me reintroduce you to your Father. All right? Um, uh, have you ever had experience, we, we've had friends, um, and maybe you have too, who've adopted children from overseas, right? Children who are old enough to kind of know what's going on. And so maybe it's Korea, maybe it's Russia or whatever, but they've adopted, and this is always such an amazing experience, right? It's amazing for the kids, it's amazing for the families here, for the parents and all, but it's especially amazing for the orphans. Because think what, what happens. One day they're living in this orphanage, in this foreign land. They, they don't have a mother or a father. They have many caregivers in their life. Usually it's substandard living situations. They're not always going to be receiving the very best of care. They, they, don't, they don't have brothers and sisters. This whole thing is like, you know, they, that's just the, this is their life. And one day, all of a sudden, a new mom and dad show up. These usually work ahead of time, but a new mom and dad show up, and they pick them up, and they fly them back to the States, and their life changes overnight, doesn't it? And it's like all of a sudden they have a new family, a new neighborhood, new sights, new sounds, new foods. Everything's new. But the biggest thing that's new is that they have a mom and a dad. And they've never had a mom and a dad. And they don't know what to expect from a mom and a dad, right? They, they don't know. Like, what, is it, what does it mean to be a son? What does it mean to be a daughter? We don't know that. I'm seven years old. I've never had a mother. I've never had a father. How do I relate? How do I trust? How do I love? What's this new relationship about? How does it work? What do I expect from them? What do they expect from me? How does this whole thing work, right? And it's just like, it's mind-boggling. Well, Jesus says, that's what's happened. You became followers of mine. And the moment you did, you were born again, and you have a new father. Can I explain to you what your father is like? Can I tell you about your father? Let me, let me tell you. I know this is really weird for you. You didn't used to have a father. You now have a father. Can I explain to you what your father is like? And so in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is unpacking the father for us. He's telling us what our dad is like. What does it mean to have a father? And it's pretty amazing. Let's, let's look at this. Chapter 5. Matthew 5. Let's just look at uh, three or four examples in the Sermon on the Mount where he kind of unpacks the father for us. Uh, chapter 5 and verse uh, 43. We were looking at this last week, or a couple weeks ago. Verse 43, you've heard it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Um, but I tell you, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute. Now why? Well, so that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. Well, what do you mean? Well, here, let me tell you about your Father. He causes His Son to rise on the evil and the good. Um, your Father... Your father is the sort of person that it doesn't really matter how you treat him, he's always going to love you. That's what your father is like. Um, your father, he sends the sun on this planet earth to those who are for him or those who are against him. He sends his rain uh, upon those who are for him, those who are against him. That's your father. Let me introduce you to the type of person your father is. You see? Look at verse 48. He says, so therefore be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. So let me tell you about your dad. This new dad you have, he's never made a mistake his whole life. 
This dad, he's never done one thing wrong his whole life. You can count on your father. He will always treat you well. He will, he, you can count on that. Take it to the bank. Let me tell you, about, well, let me tell you some more about your dad. Go over to chapter 6. Chapter 6 in verse uh, uh, 7. We, we skipped this when we went through. He <coughs> says, when you pray, <coughs> do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Don't be like them, for your father, he knows what you need before you ask him. Let me tell you about your dad. Your father knows you better than anyone else in your life. In Psalm 139, David will say, before there's a word on my mouth, God, you know what I'm about to say, right? He said, let me tell you about your dad. Your dad is not only good, and he, he not only is you know, he's someone who loves everyone, not only loves you, he's not only perfect, but he knows everything about you, all right? Well, let me tell you some more about your dad. Let's go to chapter 6. Chapter 6 and verse uh, 25. He says, therefore, <coughs> I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or, or drink or about your body, what you wear. Isn't life more important than food and your body more important than clothes? Hey, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your, your father, your father in the heavens, literally, your father feeds them. Aren't you much more valuable than that? He says, let me tell you about your dad. Your father is the creator of the cosmos. You know, as we study this universe we're in, it just gets more and more amazing. And God becomes bigger and bigger, doesn't he? It's like when you read the statistics about the size of our universe, it is mind-boggling. I mean, you just really, it is amazing. And Jesus says, let me explain to you, your father, this one who who loves you, this one who's perfect, this one who knows everything about you, by the way, he is the creator of the cosmos. And he knows exactly what's going on in every molecule that moves in this universe, right? And he knows every sparrow. He's got every hair counted. I mean, he is in totally, he is beyond your comprehension. That's your dad. And guess what? If that's your dad, you don't need to worry about anything, right? You don't need to worry. He, he not only loves you, he will take care of you. You are incredibly valuable to him. Well, let's look at one more thing. Go to chapter 7. We haven't gotten there yet. We'll be there about in three years. <laughs> Just kidding. Lord willing, we're going to be done with this by in the middle of September. <laughs> okay, chapter 7, unless he keeps adding sermons. Um, in chapter 7 and verse 9, he's talking about prayer. And he talks to this group of men. He says, which of you, uh, hey, if you have a son, he asks you for bread, will, will you give him a stone? He says, if your son comes up to you and asks you for a piece of bread, he says, really, are you going to give him a stone? Like, go try chewing on this. <laughs> it reminds me, I used to do that when my daughter was really young. She'd, I'd give her like pickles. You know, she's like 18 months old. She really wanted it. I'd give her, whoa. And, you know, so he says, God is not like that, you know? <laughs> right, yeah. Then I met Jesus. No, just kidding. <laughs> okay, so um, he says, um, if your son asks for bread, you're not going to give him a stone. If he asks for a fish, are you going to like, oh, here's a snake. <laughs> uh, no. He says, if you then, you who are evil, you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father give good gifts to those who ask him? He says, you know what? Think of the best father you've ever known. 
He says, the best father you've ever known in life is evil. They're, they're, they're born, right, a sinner. They're not a perfect father. But he says, your father is perfect. And if you've ever seen a good father who loves his son, if you've ever seen the picture of that, if you've ever seen a good father who loves their daughter and would lay down and do anything for, his, for the daughter, if you've ever seen a son like that, a father like that, he says, just God is like way better, right? He's the ultimate father. There's a great story. Um, it's a story that Brendan Manning tells. And uh, he's an author, and he tells a story about uh, a man, and the guy's name is Ed Farrell. And uh, he's, he's got an uncle who lives in Ireland, and his uncle was turning 80. His uncle was named Un- Uncle Seamus. And so uh, he's, he lives, uh, he decides, Ed decides to fly over there and to see his uncle for his 80th birthday, right? And so he flies over, and it's the day of his birthday, and, and he just loves his uncle. His uncle's just a great old guy. He's, he's turning 80 today. And so they get up very early in the morning, and they, they walk around this lake where, near where Uncle Seamus lived. And all of a sudden, in the middle of their walk, Uncle Seamus just starts doing something really weird. He starts singing and skipping. He's an 80-year-old guy, right? He starts singing. He takes off skipping. And, and he's like, you know, like Ed's like, whoa, what's going on? And so he finally catches up with him. And he says, Uncle Seamus, you're so happy today. He says, why are you so happy? And Uncle Seamus, who'd walked with Jesus a long time, he says to him, he says, oh, I am so happy today. He says, because the Father is so very fond of me. He says, me Father is so very fond of me. <laughs> wow. Do you understand that? Do you understand that? That if you are a follower of Jesus, you've come into a new relationship with your Father. That you have a Father who is very fond of you. And that changes everything because your father is the creator of the cosmos. He loves you perfectly. He knows you intimately. He will provide for your every need. And even in the darkest hour of your life, he is with you and he knows and he understands, you see. Your father is very fond of you. And when we come into to make a decision to follow Jesus, we step into a new relationship with our Father. And this is what Jesus came to teach us. He came to teach us about our Father and to restore our relationship so that our relationship with the Father is like His. One of my famous Jesus stories. He just resurrected. coming out of the grave, however that works. And... Uh, he meets Mary Magdalene right afterwards. You're not the one that he, he married. No, just kidding. Uh, it's a different Mary Magdalene. Uh, the real one. Um, and she's Mary Magdalene. He says, hey, Mary, after they have their encounter, he says, Mary, um, I've got a message for you. I need you to take it to my men. He hasn't seen his men yet. Could you take it to the guys? And she says, okay. He says, here's a message. I put it there in your note sheet. I love this. He says, uh, I want you to go. I want you to go to my brothers. And I want you to tell them. No, no, note the language here. Go to my brothers. And I want you to tell them that I'm returning to my father and your father. To my God and your God. Do you get this? 
This is why Jesus came, so that his Father could be our Father. And the passion of his life is to teach us about the Father so that we can enter into relationship and have it restored and understand that your Father is very fond of you. What would you give to have a Father like that? Can I tell you something? As your pastor, I didn't even begin to get this. I didn't even begin to get this. Uh, I am just a neophyte at learning this. There, there are certain times when I read something Jesus says, and I go, really? And I've read it like a thousand times. But that really is like, are you kidding me? Can I really count? Can I take that to the bank? Now, do you ever find in your life there are certain things you believe that Jesus says you believe 100%, and there's other things you go, well, I, think I'd be, I think I'd buy that. <laughs> you might pretend to yourself, oh, of course, I believe the whole Bible. Yeah, well, then why are you worried so much? You know, if you really believed it, you wouldn't be so worried, right? Because if you have a father, then all life becomes a safe place. You're covered. And so when we worry, worry is a sign we don't get it. And I tell you, six to eight weeks ago, as I was sitting out there, whenever it was, that Saturday, and this sermon wasn't even on the radar, and all of a sudden it came on the radar. This was an insert sermon. <laughs> it's like, oh, bummer, that's going to throw off the schedule, the whole thing, you know? I had to flip some things around. And ever since that day, I've been mulling on this truth that I have a father. And what I'm beginning to understand is I don't even begin to understand what that means. Because if I did, the worries and fears of my life would be gone. Right? I would understand this. Let me show you a verse. This isn't even on the, the note sheet. But let's go to Matthew chapter 11. Jesus says something pretty amazing in Matthew chapter 11 about the Father and about our relationship with the Father. In Matthew 11, let's look at verse uh, 27. Okay, he says, um, All things have been committed to me by my Father. Now catch this, No one knows the Son except the Father. And catch this, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Oh, can I tell you something? Since that Saturday morning, sitting on my patio, it's been the prayer of my life. The prayer of my life is, okay, Jesus, I need you to show me your Father. I, I need this in my life. I, I don't understand this. I don't understand your father. I don't, I don't really get this. Not the way I need to get it, right? And so Jesus came to restore this relationship between you and your father. All right, number two. The second principle, it's going to have to do with, before I give it to you, let me just tell you a little about it. What it's going to do is that just not only do you have a father, now that you have this father, this creator of the cosmos is your father, guess what? Your top priority in life now is to please your Father. Life gets very simple. If you study the life of Jesus, very simple. Please Father. Please the Father. Please. Life gets very simple, right? And so here's the principle. Now, this has got to be the longest fill-in-the-blanks of ever in the history of my teaching, right? And so I'm going to go get a cup. I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to go get a cup of coffee. I'll be back. Uh, there's seven fill-in-the-blanks just to help you out. I filled in one, right, so that you'd have one freebie. Uh, so here we go. 
So I'll give it to you. I'll go get my coffee. Number two, uh, Jesus came. Why, okay, second, why did he come? He came to free us. I love this. Uh, it's a great principle. To free us from our addiction to the approval of others. Okay? So he wants to free us from that addiction to the approval of others and to show us how to live for the audience of what? Okay, so he came to free us from our addiction, the approval of others. Have you ever noticed this as a human race, how addicted we are to the approval of others? So this is one of the things that happened at the fall, is that instead of becoming so connected with God and wanting to please him, all of a sudden we became really connected with one another. We want to please one another. And so one, this is one of the downfalls of the human race, is we're addicted to the approval of others And so Jesus came to reverse this, right? He came to teach us. He came to free us from this addiction. And he came to show us how to live in freedom for the audience of one. There's only one person in our life to please, and that's his father. Now, this was the lesson that kept the spiritual leaders of Jesus' day in the dark. This is the reason why they couldn't follow Jesus. Um, And you see it. They they were addicted to, uh, we see it today. They, they They would do the right things. They would give to the poor. They would pray. They would fast. But they'd do it to impress people, right? And so Jesus says that this was actually the reason why they were not able to recognize who he was and follow him. You ever wonder this? Everyone, I mean, here's these spiritual leaders. They know the Bible inside out, but they can't get it with Jesus. Like, what's holding them back? He's doing miracles and raising the dead right in front of their eyes. What's holding them back? And Jesus says it's not an intellectual reason that's holding them back. It is a social reason that's holding them back. It was the desire for the approval of their peers. I want you to see this. I want you to go with me to John chapter 5. John chapter 5, Jesus is talking to the religious leaders. And he says some very important things about what drives him and his life and what drives them. Okay, so chapter 5 and verse 41. I want you to underline this first statement of Jesus. It's pivotal for understanding Jesus. If you want to understand Jesus, you have to understand this about him. Verse 41, he says, I do not accept praise from men. Okay? This is pivotal. Jesus says, I do not live my life for the approval of others. This is core to who he was. This is going to be core to who you and I grow into as we follow him. Okay? He says, but I know you. You're the spiritual leaders. I know you, and I know you don't have the love of God in your hearts. Now, he says, I know you look like you do. You're giving to the poor. You're praying. You're, you're fasting. He says, it looks like you love God. But the reality is you don't really love God. Skip down to verse 44. He says, how can you believe? How can you believe in me? How can you recognize the truth about who I am? How can you believe if you accept praise from one another yet you make no effort to obtain the praise that comes from the only God. You see this? These people were living for the approval of others instead of for the audience of one. And Jesus says that's why they were blinded spiritually. You catch this? Is that when we are addicted to the approval of others, we cannot follow Jesus in our life because it blinds us to what he wants to do in our life. We can't even see it. 
because our focus is so much on what other people want from us, we, we can't even be open to hear him. It derails us spiritually. And so one of the most important lessons of life is how do we free ourselves from this addiction to approval and how do we move into living for the audience of one? Now, uh, of course, Jesus... Um, is a perfect model of this, right? And so you can see this in his life. We just saw it here where he says, I don't accept praise from people. But I want you to look at a couple other statements he makes. It just kind of uh, rounds us out. Let's look real quickly at John chapter 8. Now, we're kind of digging into the psyche of Jesus here. You understand what makes him tick and therefore what will make us tick as we follow him. And so in verse uh, uh, 29, he's talking again to the spiritual leaders, his critics. He says, the one who, is, who has sent me, that means he's talking about his father here in context, the father who sent me, he's with me, and he's not left me alone here. Why? Because I always do what pleases him. He says, why do I get to experience the father's presence in my life so powerfully? Because I'm so committed. Because there's only one person in the stands of Jesus' life, Right? Like, we're all playing the game of life. And who's in the stands? Who are we playing to please? For Jesus, there's only one person in the stands. It's his Father. Let's look at another one, chapter 14, John 14. This is the last night before Jesus is arrested. And he's with his disciples and trying to encourage them. And he's explaining to them why he has to go and die. And he says in verse 31, He says, the world must learn that I love the Father. See, this is what drove his life, his love for the Father. I love the Father. Not only is he fond of me, man, I love him. I love the Father and that I do exactly what my Father has commanded. You see, this is the secret of his power that he wasn't living for the approval of others. He was living for the audience of one. And this is what he came to teach us how to do, show us how to do this. Um, and, and you watch through his life, and it's not just his teaching, right? We just looked at two teachings, where he said, three teachings, where he makes a statement. It's not just a teaching. Watch it play out in his life. Think with me. Uh, the crowds come. One day they love him, and they want to make him king because he's just fed 5,000 people, right? The next day, oh, he blows them off. He goes, no, that's not what my father has. He sends them away. He heads to the hill to spend time with his father. The next day, the crowds come. He gives his bread of life sermon, which really irritates them. And they all leave. He was good either way, right? He was like a pastor at a church who, who preached a sermon, and one day everyone thinks he's the greatest person, and he doesn't want to go to his head. The next day, everyone leaves. And he's like, whatever. My job is not to build a great church. My job is to teach the Word, right? And it's like, whatever happens, happens. See, you see that? Can you see why I love this guy? This is one of the things I love about Jesus the most. I've always been intrigued about him is he was the most independent thinker I've ever known. He's a guy that just, it doesn't really matter what you think or what so-and-so thinks. It doesn't really matter. He is just locked on like radar, radar locked on heat-seeking missile to his father, right? He's just locked on. And I just love this about him. It's so much about not living for others. He's so much just his father. He loves his father. I think with me, the religious, uh, the religious leaders, the spiritual leaders, they're always criticizing him, whatever. 
He just keeps on doing his thing. Uh, But it's even his closest friends and associates. Uh, Think with me. Early on in his ministry, his mother, his brothers and all, they come to get him when he's teaching in a place because his popularity is going through the roof. They come to get him because they think he's crazy. Right? That's what he says in Mark chapter, what, three or four or whatever. they, They think he's out of his mind. Well, how would you like it to have your family, your parents and brothers and sisters, come to get you to take you away to an institution in the midst of your sermon? <laughs> you see? But it was okay with him. He was okay with that. He says, you know what? Who is really my mother and my brother and sisters? It's really the person who knows the will of God and does it. Um, later on in his life, Matthew chapter 16, one of his closest friends pulls him aside. Jesus t- starts telling his disciples, look, I know you're not going to like this, but I have to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to die. Peter pulls him aside, one of his closest buddies, and says, hey, you can't quit talking like that. This is not going to look good on the campaign trail, you know? It's not going to be a great soundbite. Um, you're a Messiah, remember? And you remember what Jesus says to him, one of his best friends. He says, get behind me, Satan. Do you see his boundaries there? <laughs> Man, hey, I love you, but you are in my way. My father has a different agenda. For Jesus, it was all about the father. And this is the relationship he's come to draw us into as his followers. When you become a follower of Jesus, you start this new devout, this new journey of relating to your father where the opinions of others are going are to slowly fade away and your connection with the father is going to grow increasingly to you become a person of freedom and simplicity, you see, and power. It's just so clear. Life becomes so simple. All right. Now, the third principle. The third principle is that Jesus came, third thing he came to do, is he came to teach us that the path to freedom is the path of secrecy. Path of freedom is the path of secrecy. So you say, um, well, Mike, how do we grow in this? Okay, so I, I get it. You've convinced me. I, I can see it. Jesus is very clear on this. So I've got to get rid of this addiction to approval of others. I've always wanted to be free of that. I, I need to live for the audience of one. That sounds good. Okay, I'm, I'm in. How do I grow in this area? And it's probably a, a big question, a lot of answers. But one of the things Jesus says in this passage in Matthew 6, he says, here's one of the keys, is you have to learn to develop the discipline of secrecy. He says, I want you to do the right thing but do it for the right reason. The wrong reason is to impress others. So he says, even in spiritual matters, this needs to become a discipline in your life. So he gives us three examples. He says, so for example, like if you, if you give your money, don't let everyone know how much you're giving. If you're praying, don't let people know all the time that you're praying. If you're fasting, keep it between you and your God. Develop a secret relationship with God. He says, here's what happened. He says, as you develop a secret relationship with God, you will find a new bond with the Father and it will start to break this addiction in your life to the approval of others. Now, now we understand this. We understand this as human beings that when you share your secrets with someone, it creates a bond, doesn't it? Like some of you have been in a life group or a recovery group and you've taken that risk. It comes at night and there's something you're dealing with in your night or something in your past and you feel like, hey, this group is a safe place. And you take the risk and you share with that group maybe something you've never shared in a group before, right? And what happens? The group always bonds after that, doesn't it? Something, see, when you share your secrets with someone, there's a bond that happens. Uh, you probably experienced this as a kid. 
You know, maybe you, you did a sleepover with one of your friends and you shared secrets and you swore each other's secrets. I remember uh, many years ago, I'd only been in ministry a couple years, and a friend and I went to a, a pastor's retreat together, and we had been friends before this, um, and uh, pretty good friends. But that night, uh, first night of the retreat, we uh, planned to go to sleep, but you know how it is sometimes you go, you can strange bed and everything, you can't go to sleep. And so it's about midnight, we go to bed, we can't go to sleep. And so we start talking. We ended up talking till five in the morning. But as we, as we talk, you know what happens? You begin to share stories, you begin to swap stories, right? And as the night goes on, you begin to share more and more personal stories, right? And, and by about 4 a.m., you're going, okay, now if I tell you this, you know, you can never tell anyone in the whole world, right? Right. And we're like, you know, just saying, okay, blood brothers. No, you know, listen, okay. And, and so you're doing this thing, you know, right? And so, and so, I mean, to this day, there are things I know he told me that I've never shared with a single person. I'll take him to my grave. You know, we swore each other. Well, what happened? The next morning, there was a new closeness in our relationship, right? There was a new bond in that friendship. Why? Because when you share secrets, it connects you. And so Jesus says, okay, you want to get connected to the Father? Start having some secrets with your Father. You see? You want to draw close to your Father? Start, start developing a discipline of secrecy with your Father. And what it will do is it will break your addiction to the approval of others. It will strengthen your connection to your Father. There in your note sheet, a great quote from Dallas Willard on this. You know, he's a prophet, USC, and in their philosophy department, and uh, a great Christian leader. And uh, he says, the discipline of secrecy will help us break the grip of human opinion over our souls and emotions, all right? Okay. Now, I'm going to wrap this thing up. Let's get real practical, okay? We've talked about our Father. Jesus came to restore the relationship with our Father. We, he wants to teach us how to break this addiction to the approval of others and, and how, to, how to live for an audience of one. And that one of the keys of this is to learn to develop a secret life with our Father. And so he's kind of spelled this out. So I've got a couple questions for us as we wrap it up. Number one, first question is, are you, in your life, are you pursuing your relationship with your Father? If you're a follower of Jesus, you have this relationship. The question is, are you pursuing the relationship? You know, one of the saddest things I've ever seen is when parents adopt a child, and for whatever reason, that child is unable to bond with the parents. Have you ever seen that? It, you know, it may go through tremendous expense, tremendous you know, time and energy to adopt this child. You've got a mom there and a dad there, just so much wants a child. And they're, they're just, they want to pour out their love and their affection on this child, right? And they just have so much to offer and so much to give and love and support and guidance and, and direction. And you have a child, and I've seen this happen before. I've seen this happen with friends where they have a child that for whatever reason, they're, they're too old, or they've been abused, or they just can't, they've been, they just can't connect emotion, whatever, and they just cannot receive it. They don't connect with their parents. And so you hear this, this parents who want to love this child and have so much to offer, and this child who just doesn't pursue. It's one of the saddest things. You're like, man, you so much need to be loved, and they have so much love to give. What, this is so sad. And Jesus comes and says, yes, same with us, right? That if you're a follower of Jesus, you have a father. The question is, are you pursuing a secret relationship with your father? See? We started the day with the story of Jesus, one of my favorite Jesus stories. I say that every week because I just love the Jesus stories. But 
but it's one of my favorite stories, you know. It's like he, he's healing people all day long, right? He, he's like, he's got to be exhausted. He's up late. I'm sure he's up late. He goes to bed. He's dead tired. But his father wakes him up in the morning while it's dark before, while everyone's out to sleep. And he gets up in the, the Galilean morning and goes out and he heads for the hills. Why does Jesus do that? I'll tell you why. Because he knew that in a few hours, everyone was going to be up and everyone was going to be awake and the crowds were going to be after him and there's no time he's going to get time with his father and he needed time with his father. Why? Because he needed to reconnect. Why? Because he needed to redirect. Why? Because he needed to remember who he was and what his calling was and he needed to get directions from his father. He just needed that hangout time to remember that he was his son and he had a father and he needed that time. What about you? What about me? Don't we need that time, you see? In the the next three weeks, we're going to be talking about these three spiritual disciplines that Jesus outlines as our key to pursuing a relationship with our Father, giving to the poor, prayer, and fasting, right? And so I hope you can be with us each week as we delve in and say, okay, here's some ways Jesus has given us to, to pursue relationship with our Father. Number two, the second question I have for you is who's sitting in your stands? Oh, now this is nervous time. Uh, who's sitting in your stands? <laughs> you we, all, we all have stands, right? We're all living our life. We're all people in our stands. <laughs> who's in your stands? Who are the people in your life that you find yourself worried about what they think? <laughs> you might be 42 years old, and every major decision you make, you're running through the grid of what your mother will think. You may be 36 years old. You're afraid to follow Jesus in a particular area because you're not sure what your spouse is going to think. You're 18 years old, and you're afraid to follow Jesus because the people in your stands are the guys that you work with on the job or on your team. You say, who's in our stands? Who's in the stands of our life that we're living for their approval. It's one of the most profound questions we could ask in life. Who's in our stands? Here's what Jesus says. Jesus says, if there's anyone in our stands other than the Father, it's going to slow us down or at times derail us from following him. Now, here's what I think. I think that we never get to the point where we get everyone out of our stands. Yeah. But I think there's certain critical times in our life we realize that person's in our stands and we need to escort them out now, right? We need to call the usher like an angel. (laughs) I don't mean take them out. I just mean just (laughs) usher them out, right? And we need to kind of point and say, you know what? My mother, my boyfriend, my girlfriend, my coach, my coworkers, my grandfather, my grandmother, my kids, this is the person in my stand. It's the person I run my decision. I'm worried about what they think, and it's slowing me down following Jesus. It's keeping me from making the decision that I need to make that's going to transform my life, right? So who's in your stands? Wow, what an important message today. We have a father. We have a father. Now, I don't think we really get that, it's a place to begin, right? That we have a father. A place to begin is begin to ask Jesus to, sh- to teach us about his father, right? 
And we've learned a very important principle as followers of Jesus. If you want to be part of his movement, it's all about restoring the relationship with the Father. And it's all about learning to live for the audience of one instead of the addiction of others. Eh? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this time to, uh, to be together and to explore your word. Jesus, thank you for who you are and thank you for teaching us about the Father. It's a prayer of our heart today that you would show us your Father. Now, while our, while our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, I want to give a chance for some of you to respond to this. There's some here that you may not have a relationship with the Father yet. This whole Jesus thing is new to you. Uh, you've been coming to Rocky Peak a while. Uh, maybe it's your first time. I don't know. But, but you've never really given your life to Christ. And as we're talking today, you're realizing you want that relationship with Jesus' Father. You understand that Jesus died so that you could have that relationship. That's why he said that when he came out of the grave. I go to my father and your father. And so today, you would like to ask Jesus into your life. And you would like to to ask the father to be your father. And if that's the desire of your heart, I'm just going to pray a simple prayer right now. And if this expresses the desire of your heart, if you would just kind of pray along in your mind. Dear Jesus, I ask you to come into my life. I ask you to forgive my sins. And I ask you to show me the Father. I ask you to put your spirit in my life and change me from the inside out and teach me how to live this new life. There's for others of us here today that that maybe you're recognizing today the decision you have to make is there's someone in your stands you need to escort out and you would like to ask the Father to help you to do that. I'm going to pray a simple prayer. And if that's the desire of your heart, just pray along for me. Father, thank you for being my Father and show me more who you are. Father, today I realize instead of you being in the stands, this person is in the stands. And I ask you to give me the strength and the wisdom to know how to escort them out so I can live for you and you alone. Now, while our eyes are bowed and our heads are closed, I'm going to tell you in a couple minutes, we're going to be taking our morning offering and filling in our registration cards if you made either one of those decisions, we'd love to know that so we could pray for you. If you made the decision to follow Jesus, well, actually, I'll send you a letter with some next steps in your, your walk. And, and so if you just write me a note, just if today is the first day you want to give your life to Christ, just say, I gave my life to Christ. If, it's, if you're escorting someone out of your stands today, just say, Mike, I'm escorting someone out of my stands. Well, I don't need to know who it is. We'll just be praying for you that God will give you strength and wisdom. So, Lord, we come to you as your church, the church at Rocky Peak, your people, your followers, God, and we submit once again and thank you that we have a Father who is very fond of us. We pray, Lord, that we will go deep in that relationship. We would come to know you in a more personal way. We pray this in your name. Amen. It's so good to surrender. It's so hard to get there, but then we come. It's a moment of peace, a moment of freedom the place of power, the place of fresh beginnings and new starts. And so, Lord, we, we surrender, Lord. And today, we surrender the people in our stands that are keeping us from following you. We, Lord, we want to move into the place of freedom. We want to move in the place of simplicity. We want to move in the place of power, of having one and one only that we live for, the audience of one, our Father in the stands. Lord, so we thank you for these days. This day we can reflect on these things and we can draw close to them with one another and you as our Father. We pray this in your name. Amen.
Well, your father is very fond of you. And may this week be a week you press into that. May it be a week where you ask Jesus to reveal the Father in your life in a new way that this cosmos creator God who knows every molecule that moves is your Father. And when we see that, everything changes. May the Lord bless you this week. Hope you can join us next week as we start talking about a topic we often don't talk a lot about, giving to the poor. And so I'll see you next week. God bless. Well, that's going to do it for this week's message. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have putting it together. Please visit us at rockypeak.org where you can download more messages or have your questions answered. Remember, you can subscribe to our weekly podcast for free by searching for The Church at Rocky Peak from within the music store in your iTunes software. For Lead Pastor Mike Yearly and everybody up here at The Peak, thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.